Let's uh, get back in part number five of the Justice Wars. Now, Lord willing, when I get back next Wednesday, I'm going to kind of go back into the foundations. You know, we talked about the foundation of, of God and His Word and then self-government and family. We talked about that. Got a couple other foundations we want to add to that. Uh, but I kind of just had something on my heart this, uh, to, to kind of insert right here about this whole idea of the Justice Wars. You know, we're, we're in a battle of ideas, no doubt. Ideas about what right and wrong is, ideas about how our country should be led and our future and how our country should be governed. It's just a, a war of ideas and, and it's not a new war. It has just hit a, a new climax. You know, it's just kind of come to a head in a lot of ways and it's become pretty nasty, hasn't it? Pretty nasty to say the least and, and bloody. Um, unfortunately, there's been a lot, of, a lot of casualties and in fact, there's well, we won't get into all the stats of it all, but it's just been terrible, terrible what's going on in, in a lot of our major cities. Now, just this idea, our nation is divided. There's no doubt about it. it, it it's not the United States of America at this point. Yeah, no doubt. It's, it's certainly divided. Now, what did Jesus say about a house divided? Remember, Jesus said something real profound about a house divided. A house divided will not stand. Will not stand. It, it, it he didn't say it will fall. He said it just won't be able to stand, you know. So we know that idea is it's going to fall. But a house divided, you know, that's, that's whether it's this house right here of my body. If, it, if I'm divided and double-minded, I'm not going to be able to stand strong. If my family's divided, it'll fall apart. That goes for our communities. That goes certainly for our nation. A house divided shall not stand. And, you know, division, chaos, and confusion are just absolute, that's the enemy's territory. You know that? Division, chaos, confusion. In fact, the scripture calls the enemy the author of confusion. He's the one that wrote the book about confusion. And that's one of his specialties. He, he sets these environments of confusion and he literally thrives in these kind of environments. Now, the current status, as we've talked about, it, it doesn't seem real, real good. In the natural, it seems bleak and even hopeless for a solution sometimes. It just seems like so many people are so polarized and so far apart on, on different issues and ideas and and, and ideologies that in the natural, it just seems like never the twain shall meet. You know what I'm talking about? But in the spirit, there's a way. And that's the spirit with a capital S. In the spirit of God, there is a way. There's a solution. There's, there's a set of ideas. There, there's knowledge to fix all the problems of Ellis. You believe that? I, I, I believe that with all my heart. And that God has the idea. He's got the insight on how to redeem us and how to redeem our entire nation. So that's, that's what we want to press into. We want to press into that idea. Lord, you have the solution. Uh, help us to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. That's what we want to be as, as believers. And we, we need knowledge from God. We need knowledge. I like to say it like this. We need knowledge from another world to help our world. That other world is the kingdom of God. And the Bible, you know, it, it explains the kingdom of God like that. Like it's a whole nother reality. It's a whole nother world apart from ours, but interacting with ours. But we need knowledge from that, that kingdom to help us in this hour. And it's, we call that the wisdom of God, don't we? We need the wisdom of God to come to us. Now, this is what I want to talk, talk about. Now, it's going to be a little scattered as we get started here. And, and then it's going to flow into the story of, of Nehemiah. I, I want to just get a few talking points about working towards redemptive solutions. Everybody say redemptive solutions. You know, there's a lot of solutions on the table, but a whole lot of them are not redemptive. They're actually destructive. 
In fact, they even talk about their solutions about being destructive, actually. They don't, they don't even hide it. They want to destroy, dismantle, disrupt, all that kind of thing. But, but God's got a way. Whenever God brings a solution to the table, it's always redemptive in nature. That means that it, the solution will be good for all involved. And God is a God of restoration. You know that? He is a God who restores. He takes broken things. He can, he can take ashes and make beauty out of it. That's what he does. That's his specialty. So let's talk about working towards some redemptive solution. solutions. All right? Uh, here, here's an idea to draw near. You know, Jesus says this. This is his favorite message to preach. It says that whenever he went to a place, he went into the synagogue or to the community, into the city, and he preached this sermon. This was his favorite sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, that, that says a whole lot in just one little sentence. The idea of repent is to think about what you've been thinking about and think about it again from a whole different perspective. The idea is to turn from what you've been thinking about into a whole new idea and reality, to repent. And the reason you have to change the way you're thinking is because a whole new reality has now dawned upon all of creation. And Jesus says that reality is that I am bringing the kingdom of heaven to you. I'm bringing the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God has always been here, but Jesus brought it in a whole fresh new dimension. In fact, he brought it like this. He said, I'm bringing it at hand. Better maybe idea to understand that is I'm bringing it near to you. The idea of at hand, it means to come near or to draw near. Now get this now, because in all of the Old Testament, ever since Genesis 3, if anybody wanted to get near to God, they had to go and get near to him. If you wanted to go near to God, you had to go to the tabernacle. If you wanted to get near to God, you had to go to the temple. But Jesus says, not, it's, it's not just that you're going to God now, but guess what? The reality's changed. Now God, because of me, God is coming to you. That's salvation right there. That's redemption. You see that? So what has come near according to Jesus? The kingdom. The king, because he's the king of that kingdom, his kingdom comes with him. And he's drawing near to us. The kingdom of God is near. Now, keep that in tension with the idea here now. The idea we just kind of just spoke about. My little thing kind of popped. There it goes. When I dropped it, there it goes. This idea of drawing near again. Combine that idea of what we just said where the kingdom is coming near to us. Combine it with this idea that James helps us out with. Because James, he, he's a guy of action, isn't he? He wants us always in action. Our faith is not just something stagnant. Our faith is something that's in action. It's something you can see. You can, you can see evidence of it. James 4, 8 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Say that with me. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So now Jesus is telling us that the kingdom, because of him, and this is a work that he continues to do in us. It's not just a one and done, one time thing. He continues to bring the kingdom to us in all kinds of ways and dimensions. James says, now because of your state, what you need to do is to draw near to God. And what you're going to find out when you begin to draw near to God, you're going to find out that the kingdom is right there near to you. You see what I'm talking about? So there's this heavenly connection. Can you see it? If we just take James's words right there, you drawing close to God and what God, what's God doing? 
God's drawing close to you. So your love for him begins to reach out to him and his love for you reaches out to you. And it's a heavenly divine connection and your life nor the world will ever be the same if that connection is made. You hear me? So this idea of drawing near, that's a real part of the solution in all this. This is not the day to just, you know, I saw a thing on Facebook the other day. It said, um, part-time Christians can't ever beat full-time devils. <laughs> this is not the day to draw back. This is, and that's, that's one of the tragedies that's happening in, even in the body of Christ because of all the inconveniences and all the stuff that's happening. A lot of people have drawn straight back. You know, if they're not here, that doesn't necessarily mean that they've drawn away from God. I'm not trying to in, in, in insinuate that at all. But at the same time, there's a whole lot of churches in trouble financially, support-wise, encouragement-wise. We've done a pretty good job here. Thank God. He's, he's blessed us tremendously. But this is not the day to draw back. This is the day to draw near for sure, for sure. Amen. Now, let's, let's get into this idea about Nehemiah, all right? I love the story of Nehemiah. I, I, one day we're going to go through it and do a whole lot of detailed study in it, and I, I believe it'll be a, a blessing to you because it's a real picture of how God restores our lives. Now, let's, this idea of working towards redemptive solutions in, in this idea of the justice wars, let's walk through some of the story. We're actually going to look at chapter 4 and chapter 6 and just kind of pick some verses out of that. The word Nehemiah means the Lord comforts, the Lord comforts. According to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the Lord's comforter, right? So this, this really could be, Nehemiah could be a, 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 an idea of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He really, really does a great, great work on behalf of God's people. Nehemiah receives an assignment, and his assignment is to rebuild the walls. Remember, Ezra and Nehemiah kind of go hand in hand. Ezra goes to Jerusalem after it's been destroyed, and Ezra builds what? Anybody know what Ezra built? He rebuilt the temple. Nehemiah comes as the temple is, is pretty close to rebuilt. Nehemiah comes and he begins to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Okay. Now the king of Persia is Nehemiah's employer. Anybody know what Nehemiah's profession is? Remember? He is the king's cupbearer, cup right? He is the taste tester, right? If there's poison in the meat, guess who goes first? <laughs> Nehemiah, it's a pretty risky job. I'm sure he had hazardous pay, I'm sure, you know. <laughs> the king, he works for the king of Persia, Artaxerxes I, actually. Um, he's, he's a pretty ruthless guy in, in a lot of ways, but he, he, he likes Nehemiah. And Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, agrees to send Nehemiah to rebuild these walls. And, and he gives him some letters of recommendation so people leave him alone and let him do what he's, he's supposed to do. But when Nehemiah goes, he meets a lot of opposition. So I, th I think there's a lot of things we can learn from Nehemiah. Let's, let's just kind of learn some redemptive solutions. That's kind of what I'm saying right here. I want, want us to hear some redemptive solutions. Let's read the first three verses of Nehemiah 4. All right? And by the way, thanks for everybody joining us on Facebook. God bless you. All right, verse number 1 of, of 4, Nehemiah 4. But it so happened... Now, he's already gotten all the letters. He's going to the project. He's, the project has begun. Okay, we'll just pick it up in, in chapter 4. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were building, or rebuilding the wall that he was furious and indignant 
and mocked the Jews. Now, if you read the letter, you'll find out that Sanballat and Tobiah are absolute arch enemies of Nehemiah. They just want to fight him on every corner and stop this project of rebuilding in Jerusalem. And he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria, Sanballat did, and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete, complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him, was beside Sanballat, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So what do you hear the enemy doing right here to Nehemiah and all of his crew, all of his people? What, what was the enemy doing? He's trying to intimidate them. He's mocking them. The enemy is absolutely furious. You know, anytime God starts a restoration project, it just absolutely makes the enemy just mad as just spit. You know what I'm talking about? It makes it, and it just infuriates the enemy. He doesn't like anything about restoration because his, his goal is to steal, kill, and do what? Destroys, and God's goal is always to restore people and build them back the way they're supposed to be built. The enemy was furious. So the enemy comes, and the enemy mocks Nehemiah and all of his people. The enemy ridicules, and the enemy despises them. You know, it's really easy for us to read through a, a little verse like that and, and, and hear it and just move on with our lives. But when all of that is directed towards you, it kind of bites, doesn't it? It kind of hurts, especially when you know you're doing the right thing and, and you know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and it's a good project. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes along like the devil with skin on him and just absolutely starts just railing you. That's what happens right here. This mockery starts to happen. This is what the adversary does. See, God's word always encourages us the enemy's word always discourages us but they both speak you know that they both speak very loudly sometimes now this is what our adversary does he mocks he ridicules he despises because he wants to stop you from fulfilling your your assignment you know everybody has an assignment when jesus called us to follow him he, he called us into an assignment he called us into this kingdom building mission that we all are a part of we all have different roles to play. We all have different giftings and talents and, and, and abilities and, and anointings and all those kind of things. We all have differences of all of the administration and the way it even works out of our lives. There's differences and diversities of all of that. But we all have something to do and something to bring into this kingdom building mission. But the enemy's goal is to stop us from completing our assignment. So Nehemiah and the people do what? What do they do in response to all this mockery and all this stuff that's coming at them? Here's what they do. In verse 4 and 5, they pray. Isn't that always a good idea? They prayed. You know, when something comes at you like that and it begins to strike your heart, you can either take offense or you can pray. And sometimes the offense comes so quickly that, that man, you've got to pray. You've got to. You've got to pray to keep from, you know, reacting in the wrong kind of way. And sometimes the prayer might start with, Lord, help me not to kill him. You know what I'm saying? That kind of prayer. Help, help me, Jesus. Help me quick, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? So they prayed. And in verse number six, if, if we were to read all through this, we're not going to read, read all the verses, but you can go back and pick up four, five, and six. They prayed and they kept building. They kept building the wall. So what, what do you do when the enemy just keeps coming at you? He's mocking you, despising you. Maybe it's all rattling around in your head. 
Sometimes that's, that's the case too. Sometimes it's those voices we hear of, of, of doubt and confusion and all those kind of things. The enemy is trying to plant those seeds so that we'll stop the assignment, stop the project God has us on. What do you do? Well, you got to pray, but not all, that's not all. You pray and you keep building. You keep working. You keep doing what you're doing. If you let the mockery stop you, you're in trouble. Just because they don't like it doesn't mean I don't. <laughs> Just because they tell me to stop doesn't mean I have to. All right. Now, here, here's what it says right here at the end of verse number six. Here, here's the redemptive solution right here I see in this early part of Nehemiah 4. They kept building for the people had a mind to work. How about that? Isn't that a great line right there? For the people had a mind to work. What does that mean? Help me out, somebody. What does it mean when people have a mind to work? They, they made up their mind. They're determined. You ever, you ever worked with somebody that had a mind not to work? <laughs> I know you understand that part, don't you? But isn't it good to have a group of people that they just got a mind? Let's, let's get this done. And that's what happened. The, 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 it infected the soul of these people. So they said, no, we, we're going to get this done. I, I hear what they're saying. And, and yeah, it, it's not fun. I don't like it either. But my mind's set on what we've got to do, not on what they're saying. Sometimes you got to do that, don't you? So the people had a mind to work. I mean, let me, let's pray over that right quick. Can we do that? Lord, give us that kind of mind. We, we need a mind to work, Lord, to, to do the things that we're called to do to be the people you called us to be and, and put our hands to the plow that you've laid before us. Help us, Lord. Give us that kind of mind. Uh, there, there's a whole lot of energy in a good, positive, uh, focused mind. There's a whole lot of energy that's produced in our body through that kind of mind. Give us that kind of mind. Renew us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go to verse number eight. So now the enemy begins to do something else. It says, and all of them conspired together. Now, who's all of them? Well, it's Sanballat, Tobiah. If you look in verse number seven, it's the Arabs, uh, the Arabs, Arabs. How about that? Arabs. <laughs> I've been listening to, uh, what's that old boy's name? The Ray Stevens. The Ray Stevens, a little bit too much. Ahab, the Arab. <laughs> all right. Now, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend anybody. Lord, have mercy. Mm -mm. That, that's never mind. Uh, the Ammonites, the Ashadites, they, they, all, they all begin to conspire together. Now, what does it mean to conspire? What does that mean? They're, 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 plan they're planning and plotting, aren't they? And they're conspiring to get you. You've heard about conspiracy theories, how all these ideas or things or entities or whatever come together. Well, this is for real happening here. This is not a theory. This is for real happening. The enemy is getting together and they may hate each other, but they hate them more. And they get together. That's kind of what we see going on today. Don't you see that? You got people that can't stand each other and, and they would fight on another day. They'd fight each other to the, to the uh, you know, tooth and toenail. But today, they hate some other things so much that they're going to come together. So the enemy does that sometimes. They conspire together and they conspire to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Hmm. Now, what was their goal? What was their goal? They're going to prevent the building of the, of the wall. And how are they going to do it? Create confusion. Now, I'm not trying to 
politicize Nehemiah, but there's a whole lot here for today. I can promise you. There's a whole lot in this, in this book for today. Confusion. You, you see what's going on in our world today? I mean, we, we don't know who to listen to. We don't know who to trust. Any, anytime there's any kind of decent dialogue that happens, somebody just loud and obnoxious gets into the conversation, and what did they inject into everything? Confusion. That's how the enemy works, isn't it? And this enemy came together to just absolute create confusion. Now, they're unified in their attack. Who they want the confusion for? The people of God. So the people of God, in fact, that's kind of happening in our world today. The, the, the church is kind of confused on where it should stand. Should it stand over here with, with this group? Or what about this group? We don't want to be ugly and hateful to anybody else. And the church just seems like a confused child. What's wrong with us? We're picking up this confusion from the adversary. And he's done a really good job. And he's really good at what he does now. I don't want to give him more credit than he deserves. But he's good at what he does. And you see it all. I just saw something the other day. Just somebody trying to have a conversation with somebody. Just a, a straight up dialogue. And next thing you know, this crazy person on a motorcycle comes up right beside him. And all he does is sit there right there. <laughs> Just a bunch of noise and chaos and all kinds of, Lord, I don't even want to say what I want to say. <laughs> What's all that? It's a tactic, actually. It's a strategy. All right. Verse number nine. Let's see what Nehemiah does. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Now, I like that idea, the nevertheless. You know, there's a whole bunch of neverthelesses in, in, in the old King James. Nevertheless, you know, we've got to have that kind of faith. Nevertheless, no matter how much confusion comes, no matter how much mockery comes, no matter how loud the enemy comes, you and I have got to have the kind of faith that says, nevertheless, I will do what I'm called to do. Nevertheless. And so what Nehemiah sets up right here, he, he says, hey, guys, you know what we need to do? I know some of you are confused and a lot of you are scared. You know what we need to do? We need to pray. So he says, we prayed. We, they, they, they prayed right then. They prayed to God and then they did something else. They set a watch day and night. Now, when I hear that phrase, set a watch, I think about set a watch like this, but it's a little bit different in the Bible. What does it mean to set a watch? Anybody knows? It's like post post a guard somebody to stand on guard right so he does two things they pray and they watch now when i heard that i thought about jesus what did jesus say in the garden remember that the garden of gethsemane matthew 26 what did he say he, he, he tells his disciples he says this is what i want y'all to do this this is the hour this is the hour of testing and temptation is coming right here and i want you as my people to watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. Well, what happens right after that? <laughs> they fell asleep, didn't they? they, they, they and, and, and then what happened? They fell right into that temptation Jesus was talking about, right? So now, th this is real important for us to learn to be sober. Peter would say it like that, to be sober and vigilant for your adversary, the devil, like a, roaming, a roaring lion, roams around seeking whom he may destroy. Peter would say it like that. 
So this idea of watching, it's, it's not that we're, we're, we're not enamored with the enemy. We're not just going to be taken off our assignment from the enemy, but we're not, also not going to be gullible about him either. We're not going to be naive to it. So Nehemiah sets a watch and he prays. Hmm. I think that's important for us. Uh, do, do this. Ask the Holy Spirit how you need to watch better. How you need to be on guard a little bit better. I don't know what that means for you and your family. It may mean something different than it does for mine because the battlefront may be a little different where you're at. But I said, Lord, what, Lord how, how can I watch better? How can I watch better over my kids? How can I watch better over my community, over my church family, over my own life? How can I watch better? And do I need a brother or sister to help me watch? Because four eyes are better than two. You know? Watch and pray. Let's, let's keep going here. Verse 11 through 13, we're not going to read that part, but the enemy plots his attack. He plots. And Nehemiah and the people are absolutely prepared. And in verse number 14, this is what Nehemiah says. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people. He addresses everybody. Nehemiah addresses the whole the whole work, workforce and staff. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. So now, now let's look at what he says. Let's bring this to a redemptive solution for us today. First thing Nehemiah does is he rebukes the fear that's building up. That's important. Jesus does it time and time again, doesn't he? He, he? he rebukes the fear. He says, don't be afraid or, or fear not. He'll say something like that. He'll just, he'll just bring that fear into check in us because he sees it building up. Have you ever seen fear come on somebody? I mean, you, you, you can almost feel it swelling up in you when you watch these videos and all these things going on in the news. It's like something gets in your belly. It's like, oh my goodness. It actually, some of it can be actually terrifying sometimes. Nehemiah first rebukes the fear that is building up. I think that's important when it comes to being part of this solution. Let's rebuke the fear because fear will literally keep us back from what we're assigned to do. It'll lock us up. In fact, fear not is one of the most given commands in all of Scripture. Some people have said it's the most given command in all of Scripture. I haven't, I haven't counted that out, so I can't say that, but I've heard that. You ever heard that? Yeah, I've heard that too. It's 365 times, one for every day of the year. I, I can't be quoted on that, but I've heard that in my life. Well, I know it's in there a lot. But if it's in there one time, that'd be good enough. We don't need fear. Fear, well, see, fear can come, but it can't stay. Fear will come, but don't let it stay. He rebukes the fear, and then he turns their thoughts back to God. Now, here's the antidote for fear right here. Just think about God. Put your mind. He, he says, remember the Lord, how great and awesome he is. We, we could go back and look at Psalm after Psalm where David does that. You know, I, I would have fainted, but I, I remember the goodness of God. You know, all these things. Nehemiah says, I brought their attention. I got it off of the fear and I brought their attention back to the Lord. You need to do that for yourself sometimes. You need to do that for your family. Faith over fear, certainly. And then he does this. Here, here's the other part of this redemptive solution Nehemiah brings. He encourages them. 
He says, do this, gang. This is serious times. Fight for your families. There, there, there ain't a whole lot that I'd give my life for. But my family is one of them. And Nehemiah knows that. And he knows how crucial this is. That their whole future is at stake right here. And he says, listen, here's what you and I have to do to be a part of the solution. You get motivated to fight for your family. Now we know what it is to fight with your family. But now it's time to start fighting for your family, isn't it? Fight for your family. Fight for our kids. All these ideas and all this nonsense flying around and all these lies and all this... You know what I'm talking about. Guess who's going to get the brunt of it? You and I have got a level of discernment, hopefully, to where we can weed through some of this mess. Some of it. But what about our kids? They're not so equipped for this battle. It's kind of obvious. You have a conversation with one of them, you'll find out. And he says, we got to go to battle and fight for our families. Let's be part of that solution. Amen. Families of this nation need our help. And we're not going to Portland. We're not going to Seattle. We're not going to go to Minnesota. But we can do some stuff in the heavenlies that will take care of some of those problems. I can promise you. All right. In verse 15. The enemy's heard something in all of this. In all of this praying, Nehemiah's message, and in the spirit of the people. It happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing that all of us return to the wall, everyone to his work. Isn't that something? The enemy heard something and he just got stopped in his tracks. <laughs> you know what? You know what you find out about your enemy? Even our spiritual enemy? He ain't as bad as he, you think he is. But he also hears things that makes him stop. God revealed the enemy's plot and everybody got back to the project. Everybody got back to work, all right? 16 to 17. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction. Now, here's a beautiful picture right here. Nehemiah saying that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves, get this picture right here, so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. You got to like a work crew like that. I like that. That would have been fun working on that crew, wouldn't it, Jerry? <laughs> See, here's some redemptive solution here. Everybody had a part to do. Half of them, the, the mass of people, half of them were builders. They were working at construction. Half of the workers were warriors. Warriors, they were fighting. But those right on the front lines, that's what verse 17 talks about. Those right on the front lines, right there on that wall building, those folks had a special assignment and a special gift mix. They could put a brick and a stone and a rock and some mortar in one hand, and they could hold a sword in the other hand. That's a great picture I want you to see right there. They built with one hand. They had a weapon in the other hand. Tools and swords. We, we've got them. We've got them. God's given them to us through Jesus. Each believer needs to be equipped with tools and a sword. Each believer needs to be empowered to know how to use their tools and know how to use their sword. 
Each believer needs to be encouraged to use their tools and to use their sword. You get what I'm talking about? Everybody's got a job to do. Everybody does. Now, if I could ask you this, I'm going to take that off of there real quick. If I could ask you this, what are our are, are tools? Well, it's on your printed page anyway. I can't do that. I may put it right here. It's on your printed page, ain't it? What are our tools and what's our sword? Tell me. The Word of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, right? What's some other tools we got? Prayer, certainly. Prayer of all different kinds, the scripture says, and pray with all kinds of prayer. Praying in the spirit. Pray with supplication. Pray with thanksgiving. You know, pray with all kinds of prayer. There's all kinds of way to do it. Psalms teaches us a lot of that. Worship and praise. We see that used as a weapon in the Bible, don't we? A whole lot. People worshiping and a song can absolutely slay an enemy. We see that happening in the scripture all the time. The gifts of the spirit, they're important. Part of our tools and sword. We could go on and on about all of that. But we need to learn how to use our tools and our sword. Especially if you're on the front lines. Now I believe that this idea of tools in one hand and a sword in the other. I believe that that's, a, that's the idea of us praying without ceasing. That's the idea of us watching and praying that Jesus was talking about. That's the idea of letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly to such a point that it can be released at any given time. Whenever God needs it to be. Whenever somebody needs it to be. All right? I believe it's a picture of somebody filled with the word and filled with the spirit and just ask. Don't you see these guys? They're ready. They're ready for anything. They're ready to get this job done. But if we got a little problem happening, we can handle that too. I like them kind of guys. Don't you like them kind of folks put working on your crew? They can just get it done. It don't make no difference. <laughs> There's just too much at stake for us to lay back. All right, let's bump over to chapter 6 and we're, we'll be almost done. Let's pick it up in verse number 2 of chapter 6. Let me go over here in my notes here. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying this. Come, saying to Nehemiah, come. Now who's Sanballat again? Who's he? He's the enemy. He's a bad guy, right? He's the enemy. They came and they said to Nehemiah, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. And Nehemiah said, oh, no, uh-uh, oh, no, no, no. He said this, they thought to do me harm. He knew. He saw right through it. Now, this is just what I say about that. Just because the enemy wants to talk doesn't mean you have to listen. I recommend you don't. I, rec I recommend you respect your adversary to such a point, like if Adam and Eve in the garden who were standing in the presence of God talked with him and were deceived, don't you take, mm, you better take a clue right there. The more you talk with your adversary, the more you're enamored with him and talk about him and distracted by him, the more he's going to deceive you, I can promise you. Ask me how I know that. Just because he's talking doesn't mean we have to listen. And Nehemiah says, I'm, I'm not going. I'm not going. But here's, here's what the enemy does. But they sent me this message four times. And I answered them in the same manner. And then Sanballat sent his servant to me as before the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. So you see it? This bombastic attack. Boom, 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 boom. Why, did, why does the enemy work like that? 
Why does he always keep pounding you and pounding you and pounding? What's he want? He's going to wear you down. He's, he wants to wear you out because he knows that if he can wear you down and make you even a little bit afraid, you may stop and it, or you won't be efficient. So he just, what does he do? He just keeps, boom. He keeps coming at you. He keeps hitting you. You ever had an attack like that? To where it just seemed like one thing after another or, or something just kept on coming. It kept hitting you. Kept hitting. That's what happens to, to Nehemiah right here. Now back up to verse number three. This, this was Nehemiah's response. Classic response. I love it. I love it. They kept coming. Time after time after time to get me to talk. I sent messengers to them saying this. I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Nehemiah just basically looks at him and says, what, what, what do I want to talk to you for? I got something awesome going on over here. It ain't awesome where you're at. I, don't, I ain't going over there. And he just simply refused. He's, he kept sending the same, nope. He says, I, I answer the same way every time. Nope, I'm not going. I'm working too hard doing, because what does the enemy want to do? The enemy wants to distract you from the assignment. And Nehemiah saw it as a trap. And he said the fifth time, they came with this open letter. You know what an open letter is? In, in Bible days, they sent, mostly they sent sealed letters. And like if the governor was sending somebody something, it would have the governor's seal on it. And only the person, if that letter was to go to Paul, who's the only one that could break that seal? Paul. Paul or his assistant was the only one that could break that seal. This letter has no seal on it. So it's called an open letter. So what does that mean? That means it's on Facebook. It's on Instagram. It's on Twitter. It's on YouTube. It's on the internet posted on the blog. Everybody can read it. Why did the enemy send an open letter to all the people about Nehemiah? He wanted to scare them and to discredit that man, and it was no less than a character assassination letter. We seen that going on in our world today. It was open for everybody to read, and it was filled with threats and accusations. You know, accusations, that's the enemy specialty, you know that? In fact, what's one of his names along that line of accusation? What's one of his names? The accuser of the brethren. And the cistern. <laughs> He's the accuser, isn't he? And he wants to accuse you. And it says, the scripture says he accuses us night and day before the Lord. This letter was filled with lies and manipulation. Lies are his specialty. He's the father of lies. You know what that, that idea of the father of lies is? Is that he just absolutely makes the stuff up. <laughs> and manipulation is one of his key tactics. He wants to manipulate you, get leverage, and force you into a particular way. Do we see any of that happening in our world today? <laughs> Whose fingerprints is that? We know who that is. So it was a character assassination, uh, assassination letter. <laughs> Sometimes it's tough to get all that out. You've got to be careful with a word like that. <laughs> Listen to me. It's demonic to attempt to destroy another person for your own gain. It's absolutely demonic. 
and it's evil, and it needs to start being called out. It is insane what's going on in our world today, and we know exactly who's behind it. And there's a whole lot of devils walking around looking like people. Then I sent to him, Nehemiah sends back to him, he says, no such things as you say are being done. Accuses him of all kinds of things. You can go back and read some of the accusations. No such things that you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. Nehemiah said this, for they all, the enemy, they all were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O oh God, strengthen my hands. You know, here's something the enemy knows about fear now. That fear always brings weakness. The weakness brings discouragement. And the discouragement, if it stays long enough, it'll cause you to quit. So that, Nehemiah says that they're just trying to make us afraid. Trying to keep us afraid. Because if the enemy can keep you afraid, he can keep you in bondage. And the redemptive solution I see right here. You see it, that last line right there, verse number nine. You see that? He prays. They're trying to weaken us. God, strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands. Come, Lord, Lord, help us. We need you to strengthen our hands for the work we've got to do. Strengthen our hands, Lord. We, we, we've been weakened by fear. We've been weakened by confusion. We've been weakened by lies and accusations and all kinds of manipulation and all kinds of things that the enemy's thrown at us in our personal lives and, and across our nation. And Lord, we ask you for the body of Christ that you would strengthen our hands with the power of the Spirit. Strengthen our hands. Give us a power from on high. In Jesus' name. A couple more verses, we're good. For this reason, verse number 13, there's, the, the, the battle keeps going on and on. What the enemy does, the enemy hires a prophet. It looks like a series of prophets, several people actually, according to verse number 14. The enemy hires people to speak against Nehemiah and his people. And he says, for this reason he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way and sin. So that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. The enemy hired a prophet, somebody to speak against Nehemiah, to trap him. Hired somebody. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Paid, flat out paid somebody to be evil. Flat out paid somebody to lie and bring accusations. Anybody ever heard of such nonsense? My goodness. I mean, did you know this happening in our world today? Do you know that a lot of things you see on your television going on with all this activists and all that kind of stuff, a lot of these people are hired to do all that chaotic stuff? They're hired to bring a lot of that confusion? Not everybody's hired, but there's a whole host of them that are. They're getting paid. Yes, yeah, I'm getting paid about an hour, you know. And they're getting outfitted, they're getting all this kind of stuff, and they're getting promises and all kind of things. God help us. But Nehemiah stays strong even against the hired hands now, against the hired hitman. He stays strong. Lord help us. Verse 15. In spite of all the stuff I just talked about, 
in spite of all the railing, all the accusations, all the fear-mongering and all the stuff, nonsense that was going on, the, the hired people that was called to speak out, the open letter that was sent out to everybody, in spite of all of that, here's the miracle that happens. The wall was finished on the 25th day of Elu in 52 days in spite of the enemy, in spite of the opposition. The people didn't quit. They kept building. They kept doing what God called them to do and they finished what they were called to do. The wall was finished. And here's a part of the solution for us. Don't stop until the assignment is finished. Don't let fear stop you. Don't let lies stop you. Don't let mockery stop you. Don't let discouragement stop you. Don't let the fact that somebody else may not be doing their job stop you. Let us keep doing the assignment God has given us until it's finished. Whenever I see that word finished, you know who I think about. I think about my master hanging on the cross. And he kept his breath in his body until it was finished. And he said it's finished. Then we can go. And the last of it right here, verse 16. Listen to this. This is, this is where it gets real sweet right here. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it, heard of the building of the wall being completed. And all the nations around us saw these things, that's the enemies, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. <laughs> The enemy will not win. He will not prevail. I, I love that phrase. The enemy was very disheartened. How about we give him some of his own medicine? <laughs> How do we do that? Oh, we don't do that by attacking him. We do that by doing what we're called to do. You see what I'm talking about? And the miracle was that everybody that witnessed, even the enemies... Everybody that witnessed this whole deal, they said, God did this. God did this. Those people are too weak and they didn't have all the resources they even needed. But this work was done by our God. <laughs> Let's do something like that here. You want to? Let's do something where the people around us, some of them like us, some of them don't. It don't matter. Let's do something here to where everybody that passes by, I, say, I, I may not even like those folks, but God did something in that place. God is doing something with those people. Lord, help us. I'm done. Let's ask God to help us do that. Let's make a mark. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for Nehemiah's courage. Thank you for his fortitude, his persistence, his faith. It just bears witness with our soul, Lord. That that's what we really need to be. That's what we need to do. Help us, Lord, to be a part of this solution for our nation, for our communities, for our families. Help us, Lord. Help us to be a part of that solution where your redemption comes and you save the day. And Lord, I pray that you would use us and help us to be a part of something that the world would bring witness to say that you did it. It is absolutely nothing short of a miracle. And it would bear witness of you, Lord, and cause many people to come to faith. Help us, Lord. Strengthen our hands, strengthen our hearts, strengthen our minds. Give us that mind to do the work. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.